Am I turned on? Good. So Dan and Haley, I also wanted to... Um, where'd you go? Yeah, here you are. Here, I've got a little white bunny that maybe Isaac would like to hold during the sermon, and he can even suck on the ear if he wants. I don't mind. <laughs> the reason I happen to have that with me today is that during first service, I told the children's story, uh, the story about called The Runaway Bunny by Margaret Wise Brown. This story has been around for many generations, since 1942. It's the story about a bunny who wants to run away from his mother. And, uh, but this is not as easy as it seems, because the mother says, if you run away, I'm going to run after you, because you're my little bunny. So the bunny is quite determined, and he says, well, if you run after me, I am going to become a fish and swim away from you. And so the mother, who's also determined, says, well, if you become a fish and swim away from me, I will become a fisherman and fish for you. So the bunny says, well, if you're going to become a fisherman and fish for me, I will become a rock on a high mountain. And the mother bunny says, if you become a rock on a high mountain, I will be a mountain climber and climb up to the mountain and find you. So the bunny says, If you become a mountain climber and climb the mountain to find me, I will become a bird and fly away. And the mother bunny says, Well, if you become a bird and fly away, I will become the tree you come home to at night. And so it goes on and on. After many attempts to run away, the little bunny gives up and says, Well, if that's the way it's going to be, I may as well just stay right where I am and be your little bunny. Get that book, Dan and Haley, if you don't have it already, and read the whole story sometime to Isaac when he gets a little older. Is there anything more powerful than mother love? Well, what about the Creator who gave mothers their love in the first place. The story of God starts at the very beginning of the Bible when God says, let there be light and sky and sea and land. And then because God wants to have beings that resemble himself that he can have a friendship with, he creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, And the Bible says that he creates them in his image. Here are the words from the story of God. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over everything in the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God creates this partner to reflect his image and breathes into him his own spirit and invites Adam and Eve to dwell with him in paradise to be his partners and friends. But 
Adam and Eve are not content to simply be in this paradise. They want to be independent of God. They turn away from the one who is the source of their life. They eat the forbidden fruit. And when they lose that, what I kind of picture as a clothing of light, which gave them their glory because they've turned away from the light, they realize they're naked and they're ashamed and they hide from God in the trees of the garden. And now I want to pick up again this beautiful story of God from the book of Genesis. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, Who told you? You were naked. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? So those first beautiful creatures that were made to be sort of like God-men and God-women to reflect their Creator's glory have turned away And now they must reap the consequences of that choice. They begin to die. No longer will they have a nice garden path, but now their path will be full of thorns and rocks. But God cannot let them go. He comes around and joins them in their place of damnation, and he calls, Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? I still love you. I want you still to reflect my goodness and my beauty and my truth. When we read those words, where are you, it's important to imagine, what do you imagine that voice sounds like, the tone of God's voice? Is it something like a suspicious policeman or a angry boss or a lonely friend or a Worried mother. What do you think? I'm going to go with worried mother who is chasing her runaway bunny. Adam and Eve have to be banished from paradise, but God promises he will walk with them on that rocky path. The story of God continues as we read through the Bible. And many generations after Adam, we read the story of Abram and his wife, Sarah. Now, by this time, it seems that the whole world has become enslaved to the cruel gods of nature. The people in Abram's homeland of Ur have built a huge tower to worship sun and moon and stars that they assume are the beings that control the seasons of life and the cycles of fertility. And so they sacrifice their babies to these gods to try to pacify them and to have good luck. 
There's a story told in Jewish legend, not in the Bible, but it's an old Jewish story about Abraham's father. The story goes that Abraham's father had many idols. And one day, the mischievous lad, Abram, got hold of a stick and swinging around, he broke a lot of idols in his father's house. And when his father came home, he was enraged. He said, Abram, he probably used his middle name too, whatever that was, what's going on here? And Abram says, he points to this, he put the stick in the hand of the biggest idol. That was to kind of evade the blame. He says, it's that guy. He did it. Abram's dad says, no way, Abram. No idol is that smart. And then Abram supposedly said, really, father? You see, uh, as time went on, uh, God would call Abram and Sarah totally out of this society full of idols. And we come now to this next part of the story of God in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went out as the Lord had asked. So even though the people of Abram's homeland of Ur have turned away from God and sacrificed their babies to these false gods, God now comes around through calling his servant Abram and his wife Sarah, and he says, I love you still. I want you to reflect my image. And in fact, he says to Abram and Sarah, I want to start a whole new nation through you, a new society that will truly reflect my beauty and my truth and my goodness. I'm going to give you a land of your own where this can happen. I'm going to give you a child from which will spring this whole nation that will be beautiful. But you know, as time goes on, and Abraham and and Sarah consider the fact that they have not received any children, not a single one, after decades, the uh, old man Abram and his barren wife Sarah, they doubt God's promise. And they turn their backs on this covenant with God and try to conspire to work out a plan for their own dynasty apart from God, a plan having to do with Abram's slave girl. We might call it a surrogate mother these days. So God, he can't give up on his beautiful Abram and Sarah. He comes around again. He finds a way to join them in their despair, in their doubt, in their, even their rebellion against him. And he says, Abram and Sarah, where are you? I still love you. You are still my chosen ones to carry out this plan for a new nation. And um, before long, the baby Isaac is born, who will be the germ of that wonderful new nation 
a special people for God. As the story of the Bible continues from first to last, from beginning to end, it's the same story of God again and again coming in search of his wayward children, running after those who run away from him. Abraham's grandson is named Jacob. And Jacob is the heir of this promise that God has given to Abraham. But Jacob is not a very good representative of God's love and truth. And through his lies and through his um, conspiracy and his treachery, he creates a civil war in Abram's family. And he has to run away for his life. And while he's running out in the, out in the wild, he has his head on a stone pillow, fleeing for his life and... God finds a way to come around to him in his exile. And he says, Jacob, where are you? Where are you going? I love you still. I've chosen you to be the the one who reflects my image. And so uh, God renews his promise to Jacob through the sign of of a fiery, shining ladder from heaven to earth with angels ascending and descending on it. That's the visual sign that he gives him in a dream. He wants to reunite with his wayward creation because this creation is the runaway bunny that he still loves. Well, Jacob has um, 12 sons, and these sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. But they don't always reflect God's love and goodness very well either. In fact, their history is full of all kinds of bloodshed and greed and lust. It's a mess when you read it in the Bible, and the Bible is very honest about it. They eventually end up in Egypt. Actually, God took them there to save them from a time of famine, but once they get there, they become comfortable with the luxuries of this powerful empire And they end up eventually as slaves. They begin to worship the idols of the Egyptians, those that supposedly give power to this mighty empire. Again, the sun that gives life and the mighty Nile River and the vast herds of cattle, these are some of the idols that Egyptians worship. But God doesn't want to give up on his people. He can't give up on them. So he comes around and finds them in their place of damnation. And he calls his servant Moses to be a prophet. And he sends Moses there. God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's the name he reveals. It means I am the real God who really exists, unlike these false, fake gods of Egypt who cannot hear and cannot speak and cannot really do anything. I am here to save you and deliver you. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go so they can be my people again. So Moses goes and he proclaims the message. Now Pharaoh doesn't take this very well. He says, who is this God of yours? 
And then Moses raises his rod, and God sends down plagues on those idols of Egypt. The Nile River turns to blood. The sun refuses to shine. The cattle die. And God demonstrates that he is the living God. And he leads the people of Israel out through the dry channel across the Red Sea, takes them to Mount Sinai, and gives them a covenant. The covenant is this, I will be your God and you will be my people. But in spite of all this wonderful, glorious, miraculous stuff, God redeeming his people from slavery, the people of Israel forget that covenant pretty darn quick. And they build a gold idol, just like the kind they were used to worship in Egypt. And they complain about their hardships, and they want to go back to Egypt, and they reject Moses as their leader. And because of all this, a trip that should have taken 40 days will take 40 years. And a whole generation will die in that barren wilderness. But God still loves them. And he finds a way to come around and search them out in their place of damnation. And he cries, Where are you, my children? I still love you. I want you to be the ones who carry my image. You see, God gave us all a special capacity to contain his image of goodness and truth and beauty. Even when we do run away from him, that capacity is still there. And God longs to uh, recharge it with his presence. So God comes to Israel. He gives them manna from heaven, water from a rock. He sends a pillar of fire ahead of them to guide them. And he puts a little temple called a tabernacle right in the middle of their camp to remind them that he is a God who forgives them. Generations more come and go. And Israel becomes settled in their promised land. And then God calls a powerful king named David. He says, David, be my servant. Go reflect my image. Help my people to be prosperous. But with this prosperity comes pride. And we find this wonderful man, David, turning away from God. He commits adultery with the wife of one of his commanders. Then he makes sure this commander is murdered to cover up the crime. He's running away from God. He's hiding, and he knows it. But God can't give up on his beautiful David, the one who is to bear his image. He comes around and finds David in his hell, his separation from the one who made him. And he, he says to David, David, I, I love you still. You're the one I have chosen. You are to be my king along with your descendants to make this beautiful nation from which my Messiah will come and bless all the nations. David, where are you? Where are you trying to go? The story of God, he is always running after his wayward, runaway children. As the history of 
Israel continues. David reflects on this God who loves so generously. In Psalm 139, here's what David said. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me now and the light around me become night, even that darkness is not dark to you, O Lord, for the darkness is as light to you. As David's uh, dynasty, his, the kings that come in his line continue the story of God, they oscillate between turning toward God and turning away from God, but mostly away. Once again, they mimic the values of the nations around them with their cruelty and lust and greed. They adopt the idols of these foreign nations and bow down to them. They neglect the temple that God gave them with his covenant and his law. They forget that God loves them. And the worst of all is they kill the prophets God sends to warn and woo them. And so God allows them to go into captivity. The nations they have admired come and take them into captivity, destroying their city, demolishing that temple, enslaving these people in foreign lands. In fact, it looks like this beautiful nation now is about to become extinct. But again, God finds a way to come around their sin and their shame. And he says, my children, where are you? Where have you gone? I love you still. God sends prophets to tell them of his love. Here's a sample of out of many from the 54th chapter of Isaiah. God says to them, for a brief moment, I abandoned you, but with great compassion, I will gather you back. In overflowing wrath for a moment, I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. The story of God's relentless pursuit of those who run from him comes to its grand climax in the story of Messiah Jesus. God sins his son. And I love these beautiful words from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. All things came into being through him. The light shines in the darkness. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
and we saw his glory, full of grace and truth. This is the fulfillment of that promise given long ago to Mother Eve. The promise that God is going to send a true son of man who will also be a true son of God. God always wanted a partner like that who would reflect his image fully. And now it happens. The virgin conceives. The Holy Spirit gives her this holy thing. And Jesus is born. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. So it shouldn't be any surprise that Jesus is famous for reaching out and pursuing those who have turned away from God. There is the, um, the cripple, the paralytic, who hadn't been able to walk for decades, and he believed his broken body was the curse of God. There's the woman caught in the very act of adultery who is about to be executed at the temple gate. There is that notorious crook named Zacchaeus who oppresses the poor and is despised by everyone. Now, the priests and preachers of Jerusalem, they think that God hates these sinners. They think God should go like this and reject them all. And if Jesus is really God's son, they say, Jesus needs to reject them too. But Jesus will not be turned. He doesn't believe in their God. He believes in the God who is like a father waiting for his lost son to return. Jesus believes in a God who loves even his enemies and who will not turn his back on those who fail him. Jesus says, the God I believe in has sent me not to condemn the world, but to save it. And so Jesus tells that paralytic, take up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. He says to the woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you. Go now in in freedom and peace and live for God. And he tells that notorious crook Zacchaeus, Salvation has come to your house today. Let's have fun giving back all the stuff you've stolen. But the uh, religious authorities reject Jesus. They say he's a false prophet with a counterfeit God. They say he's an infidel. Judas betrays him. And the high priest judges him to be a blasphemer. And Pilate condemns him to die by crucifixion. And they strip him and they beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. And they march him all the way up to Calvary and kill him. It looks like we've crossed a very terrible red line. It looks like we have kicked God out of our world. But 
The problem is we were meant to reflect the image of this God. And without that source of light, we are nothing but blank, dark, and empty pieces of glass. If we've gotten rid of God, then we've also gotten rid of ourselves. But then, this is the great surprise in the story of God. The greatest mystery, the greatest love. On the third day, God raises his son from the dead. God says, I've so loved you that I gave you my son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And when God raises Jesus up from the dead, from the abyss, he raises all of us. And the risen Jesus calls out, Where are you? Adam and Eve and Abram and Sarah and Moses and David and Jacob and the lost tribes of Israel. Where are you? Where are you? Lepers and cripples and prostitutes and thieves and murderers. I will run after you who were created to bear my image until I have found every last one of you. And now for us who have heard this good news and believed it, and we know it's true, Jesus says to us, go and live it. Go and tell it. Go and be the people I have saved from damnation. And whatever rocky path you must travel in this world, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will go with you until the end of time. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Lord, we give you ourselves today, answering the call of grace, the love that will not let us go. Lord, we repent, we're sorry, we know we have run far away from you, but we thank you and praise you for your unending mercy. In Christ's name. Amen.